Chapter 64 of History of Philosophy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate McKenzie. History of Philosophy by William Turner. Chapter 64 Modern Philosophy. German Philosophy, the Romantic Movement. Kant's philosophy was opposed by the exponents of Wolfian dogmatism, such as Eberhard, 1739-1809, by the sceptic Schulze, 1761-1833, by the eclectic Herder, 1744-1803, and by the Fideists, Hamann, 1730-1788, and Jacobi, 1743-1819. It was defended and developed by Reinhold, 1758 to 1823, who was, successively, a Jesuit novice, a member of the Barnabite order, a member of the staff of the Deutsche Merkur, and professor of philosophy at Jena and Kiel. With Reinhold are associated Salomon Maimon, 1756 to 1800, Krug, 1770 to 1842, who was Kant's successor at Königsberg, and Beck, 1761-1840, who, like Fichte, attempted to give greater systematic unity to the Kantian system. The poet Friedrich Schiller, 1759-1805, contributed to popularizing the moral and aesthetic doctrines of Kant. The Romantic Movement The Romantic Movement corresponded with the beginning of the era of national reconstruction in Germany and was not without effect on the development of philosophic thought in that country. It accentuated the importance of the spiritual life not only of the individual, but of the race, and even in a certain analogical sense, of nature itself. Jean-Paul Richter, 1763-1825, whose dialogue on the immortality of the soul, entitled Campanatal, is less widely known than it deserves to be, is one of the first of the romanticists or as some prefer to consider him a forerunner of the romantic movement after passing through different phrases of subordination of individual spiritual progress to the general spiritual concept of nature romanticism reached its final form in the writings of novalis friedrich von hartenberg seventeen seventy two to eighteen o one friedrich schlegel seventeen seventy two to eighteen twenty nine author of Lucinda, turned ultimately from the cultus of genius to the profession of the Catholic faith, where he found that emancipation from the limitations of the commonplace which he had in vain sought in Romanticism. It was Fichte who imparted to the Kantian system its highest systematic unity, and at the same time combined the many and diverse elements of Romanticism in his assertion of the supremacy of the inner consciousness and inner spiritual life of the individual. Fichte Life Johann Gottlieb Fichte was born at Ramenau in Upper Lusatia in 1762. After studying at Meissen and at Pforta, he took a course of theology at Jena and Leipzig. From 1788 to 1790, he lived at Zürich as family tutor. In 1791, he went to Königsberg, and it was through Kant's influence that he was enabled to publish, in 1792, his Versuch einer Kritik aller Offenbarung. After that, he published several political treatises. 
1794, he obtained the chair of philosophy at Jena, and published his Wissenschaftslehre. On being dismissed from the University of Jena, he lectured successively at Berlin, Erlangen, and for a brief interval at Königsberg. In 1808 appeared the famous Reden an die Deutsche Nation, and when, in 1810, the University of Berlin was founded, Fichte was appointed to a professorship, which he held until his death in 1814. Sources Fichte's complete works were edited by his son, J. H. Fichte, in 1845 to 1846. Several of Fichte's more important treatises were translated by Dr. William Smith, under the title Fichte's Popular Works, 4th edition, London, 1889. The Wissenschaftslehre was translated by C. C. Everett, Fichte's Science of Knowledge, Chicago, 1884. And the Rechtslehre by A. E. Kröger, The Science of Rights, London, 1889. Consult Adamson, Fichte. Blackwood's Philosophical Classics, Edinburgh and Philadelphia, 1892. A. B. Thompson, The Unity of Fichte's Doctrine of Knowledge, Boston, 1895. Doctrines Starting Point and Aim Fichte is commonly said to hold to Kant and Spinoza the same relation that Plato held to Socrates and Parmenides. His immediate starting point is Kant's philosophy. His aim is to complete and unify what is incomplete and only partially unified in that system of thought. Kant was well aware that his theory of knowledge, as expounded in the Critique of Pure Reason, was incomplete and lacking in coherent unity. But he was not equally conscious of the lack of a logical and consistent transition from the conclusions of the first critique to the principles with which the Critique of Practical Reason and the Critique of Judgment begin. It was Fichte's aim, as indeed it was the aim of Schelling and Hegel, to supply a single principle, an all-embracing formula, which should at once complete Kant's analysis of speculative thought and afford a systematic and logical basis for the analysis of the data of ethics and aesthetics. Such a principle Fichte found in the ego, which takes the place of the thing in itself as the ultimate reality, and is, moreover, the ultimate in the practical as well as in the speculative order. For, in Fichte's doctrine of the ego, we find that self does not stand merely for self-consciousness, but also for duty. When he styled his most important constructive treatise Wissenschaftslehre, he did not intend to convey the impression that his philosophy is merely an account of the methods of scientific research. He meant, rather, that it is a science of knowledge understanding by knowledge the sum total of our experience as it presents itself in consciousness, so that philosophy may be defined as a rethinking in self-consciousness of the experience which is presented as a completed whole in direct consciousness. It is usual to distinguish the earlier and the later forms of Fichte's philosophical system. Earlier form. Here we may further distinguish Fichte's theoretical and practical doctrines. A theoretical philosophy thought cannot be reduced to being but being can be reduced to thought similarly thought cannot be derived from being but being can be derived from thought kant was unsuccessful in his synthesis of knowledge because he tried to deduce the categories and other forms of thought from the logical relations of subject to predicate and therefore ultimately from experience 
if on the contrary we deduce the forms of thought from the nature of consciousness we shall find that experience and all its noumenal content the thing in itself are capable of being derived from the conscious activity of the ego from the deed acts tathandlungen of the thinking subject thus the thing in itself is absorbed so to speak in the subject and instead of ultimate dualism we have idealistic monism the ego and the ego alone is real we need not go beyond experience to find the ultimate reality but in our analysis of experience we abstract the ego which is therefore transcendental though not transcendent the three principles taking up now the deed acts of consciousness we find that in every act of self-contemplation we affirm or posit the identity of subject and object the self as representing and the self as represented we have therefore the first principle the ego posits itself it is hardly necessary to point out that by ego fichte does not mean the individual but the universal self-consciousness the eyedness ichheit take the proposition a equals a it posits nothing about a for a is for the ego simply and solely by virtue of being posited by the ego therefore the nexus between a and a is the position of the ego the affirmation that i am what considered in the abstract is the logical law of identity is in its application to objects the only category of reality but if we continue our examination of the facts of empirical consciousness we find there a certain opposition which may be expressed in the general formula not a is not equal to a not to be confounded with not a equals not a which is a case of identity and if we treat this proposition as we treated the first we find that it means that in the ego the non-ego is opposed to the ego here we have the second principle a non-ego is opposed to the ego now since the ego is the only reality it is through the ego that the non-ego is posited and the ego denied therefore the ego both posits and negates itself it is however as fundamental for fichte as it was for spinoza that all negation is limitation therefore the ego in part negates the non-ego and the non-ego in part negates the ego which is the third principle in this thesis antithesis and synthesis we find the germ of the hegelian triadism it is important to note also that fichte identifies the ego with self-activity and teaches that it exists not only for itself für sich, but through itself durch sich. from these principles fichte deduces not only the fundamental laws of thought but also the fundamental laws of being the law of causation the principle of sufficient reason etc the question however remains to be answered why does the ego interrupt the unbroken activity by which it posits itself why does it posit the non-ego fichte we have already said regards the idea of duty as no less essential to the ego than the idea of self-consciousness 
taking up therefore the moral aspect of the ego he answers that effort and struggle are necessary for the attainment of the highest good the ego posits the non-ego in order to make effort and struggle possible the ego is theoretical in order to be practical it represents a non-ego in order to act upon it to overcome its limitations and thus to make it disappear in the ego this consideration is the basis of practical philosophy b practical philosophy without conflict there is no morality activity is therefore the essence of morality and inertness is the radical evil man should strive to become self-dependent and thereby attain independence and freedom to this general maxim is added the special rule of conduct for each individual always follow the inner necessity which urges you to attain to freedom through action fulfill your vocation act according to your conscience besides this internal necessity conscience fichte admits an external necessity namely right which has exclusive reference to external conduct just as conscience refers to internal disposition although right is external it originates from the ego for as in general the ego in positing itself posits also the non-ego so the practical ego in positing itself as a free agent posits the other self the thou as another free agent from the coexistence of free agents arises the limitation of the freedom of the ego imposed by the necessity of respecting the freedom of others this necessity is right the law of right is therefore to limit thy freedom that others may be free along with thee when this limitation is not observed and the freedom of others is infringed it is the duty of the state not of the individual who is injured to interfere and enforce the observance of the limitations of freedom and as it is the duty of the state to safeguard the rights of its subjects it is the mission of the church to impress on all men by means of symbols the limitations of the individual and by doing so to deepen and strengthen moral convictions later form of fichte's philosophy during the last years of his life fichte devoted special attention to the political and religious aspects of his philosophy of self-consciousness his addresses to the german nation contributed much to the growth of the national ideal among his fellow countrymen an ideal which was realized in the educational and political reconstruction of the country during the latter half of the nineteenth century in the later expositions of the science of knowledge he developed his religious philosophy bringing out into special prominence the truth that in the deity there is something more than self-consciousness that in piety there is something more than moral conduct and that religion is therefore something more than philosophy and ethics for it is peace and life and blessed love the ego which he had identified with god he now regards as an image of the absolute god here we see on the one hand the influence of spinoza's pantheism and on the other that of the christian doctrine of the logos historical position fichte's system is the first of a series of post-kantian efforts to reduce the incomplete synthesis which kant had effected to a more compact and coherent form by substituting the unity of a single formula for the kantian trinity of idea thing in itself and subject the formula which fichte proposed was the ego from this 
he deduced all thought and all being including the thing in itself and from the ego he derived all reality as the neoplatonists had derived it from the one and spinoza from the substance his philosophy is therefore monistic it may be styled a system of subjective idealism or pan-egoism if when we use the term pan-egoism we remember fichte's protest against identifying the ego with individual self-consciousness fichte's relation to kant and his place in the romantic movement are evident in his doctrine of the essentially ethical aspect of the activity of the ego the inclusion of duty or spiritual activity as well as conscious representation in the notion of self schelling life friedrich wilhelm joseph von schelling was born at leonberg in württemberg in seventeen seventy five at the age of sixteen he entered the theological seminary at tubingen where he studied theology philosophy and philology he spent the years seventeen ninety six to seventeen ninety seven at leipzig where while fulfilling his duties as tutor to a young nobleman he studied mathematics and natural science and published his first work ideen zu einer philosophie der natur in seventeen ninety eight he was appointed to lecture at jena where he had fichte for a colleague from eighteen o three to eighteen forty one he taught successively at wurzburg erlangen and munich in eighteen forty one he was made member of the academy of sciences at berlin and lectured at the university for several years he died at ragaz in switzerland in eighteen fifty four sources besides the ideen schelling wrote several treatises on the philosophy of nature he contributed to the philosophy of religion and of mythology several important treatises the most systematic of his works is de transcendentale idealismus published in eighteen hundred his works were collected and published in fourteen volumes by his son stuttgart and augsburg eighteen fifty six consult watson's schelling's transcendental idealism griggs's philosophical classics chicago eighteen eighty two doctrines general character of schelling's philosophy while schelling was a student at tubingen his favorite authors were kant fichte and spinoza later he came in contact with hegel and was impelled by way of reaction against hegel's naturalism to turn for inspiration to the mysticism of the neoplatonists and of jacob Böhme. herder and giordano bruno also left traces of their influence on his philosophy schelling was at first a disciple of fichte but he subsequently transferred his allegiance to different schools in succession and since as hegel said he carried on his studies in public he expounded successively at least five different systems first system previously to the publication of ideas for a philosophy of nature seventeen ninety seven schelling adhered to the doctrines of fichte second system during the years seventeen ninety seven to eighteen hundred the most productive period of his literary life schelling expounded a philosophy of nature and a transcendental philosophy of spirit one philosophy of nature fichte regarded nature as merely a limitation of the ego as at most a means to the exercise of man's spiritual and moral activity schelling advocates the recognition of nature as a source of spiritual activity he teaches that nature is not merely object but also subject 
not indeed a subject fully conscious or completely awake but semi-conscious and slumbering we should therefore study nature in order to discover the laws by which spirit is developed out of nature into self-consciousness for nature is not the antithesis of spirit both being the product of a higher principle which posits nature wherein it reflects itself imperfectly and through nature attains to spirit where it reflects itself consciously and to that extent adequately empirical physics regards nature as mere being or product speculative physics the philosophy of nature looks upon nature as becoming or productive but just as fichte recognized the limitations of the activity of the ego schelling limits the productivity of nature by positing its essential polarity if he observes there were no arrest of productivity nature would continue striving towards the infinite and there would be no product there is therefore a retarding as well as a stimulating force all nature is dual the magnet with its union of opposite polar forces is the symbol of the life and productive activity of nature in an essay entitled on the world soul 1798 schelling developed the idea of an animated nature pervaded by an organizing principle which originates and maintains the conflict of contending forces hence the inorganic is to be explained by the organic and in general the lower by the higher two transcendental philosophy of spirit the philosophy of spirit concerns itself with the phenomena of the spirit as they manifest themselves in representation action and artistic enjoyment we have therefore three divisions of transcendental philosophy a theoretical philosophy here we start with self-consciousness and proceed to explain how it is that we represent to ourselves certain images of external reality or in other words how it is that in the act of representation we feel compelled as it were by an external something to represent in a certain manner the general explanation is that there are two opposing forces the one real and the other ideal which by their alternate action limit the spirit to the state of sensation then to that of reflection and finally to that of volition which is at once the culmination of the theoretical life and the beginning of the practical life of the spirit b practical philosophy here we start with impulse which arises from the theoretical activity of the spirit positing the distinction between self and not self and which differs from that theoretical activity by a mere difference of degree progress in moral life means the gradual overcoming of the non-ego and the final goal of moral striving is complete independence of the ego as will it is only in the initial concept of nature as reproduced not produced by the ego and in the supplementary considerations on law state and history that schelling differs from fichte in his practical philosophy both identify moral life with independence c aesthetic philosophy in the theory of art schelling introduces kant's notion of the beautiful modifying it as he modified kant's theological concept to suit the needs of his more compact idealistic system the beautiful he teaches is the perfect realization of the union of the subjective and objective a union to which history approximates but which art accomplishes in art the antithesis between the real and the ideal between action and representation 
between impulse and reflection disappears art is therefore the solution of all the problems of philosophy third system so far schelling may be said to have extended and modified the subjective idealism of fichte by distinguishing the philosophy of nature from that of spirit and by recognizing as the prius of both nature and spirit a common ground or principle from which both are deduced in his third system he emphasizes the importance of this principle which he calls the absolute and which he defines as the identity of the real and the ideal here the line of thought and even the method and manner of exposition are spinozistic to the philosophy of nature and the transcendental philosophy of spirit which still remain as integral portions of the system there is added the philosophy of identity in which all things are viewed sub specie aeterni and are thus led back to the absolute god in whom they are identified it is important however to note that the identification of the real and the ideal in the absolute is complete not because of the power of the absolute to develop the real and the ideal but because of its indetermination on account of this indetermination schelling's absolute was compared by hegel to the night in which all cows are black in the derivation of the real from the absolute we are to distinguish three moments gravity light and organization the organic concept of nature is however preserved for even in the first moment organization is present inasmuch as the inorganic is the residuum of the organic that which failed to attain complete organization fourth system in the fourth system schelling after the manner of the neoplatonists accounts for the origin of the universe by a breaking away or falling off from the absolute in the previous system the world was swallowed up so to speak in the indifference of the absolute now it is placed in striking contrast with it and the independence of the absolute is emphasized we find in this fourth system a fuller and deeper realization of the problem of evil and at least an implied confession of the inability of monism to account satisfactorily for the existence of evil in the world fifth system this may be briefly described as a theogony and cosmogony after the manner of jacob Böhme. historical position schelling's philosophy is deserving of careful study both by reason of its intrinsic importance and of the influence direct and indirect which it exerted on other systems it offers however more than usual difficulty because of the wealth of imaginative power which schelling brought to bear on even the most abstruse problems of metaphysics and also because of the successive change of view in the five periods into which his mental history is divided taking the third system the philosophy of identity as the most typical stage in the development of schelling's thought we may describe it as a system of idealistic monism in which subject and object are identified in the indifference of the absolute thus it stands contrasted on the one hand with the subjective idealism of fichte and on the other with the dynamic idealism of hegel who identified subject and object in an absolute which is universal not because it is indifferent but because in it all differences are eminently contained 
before we pass to the study of hegel mention must be made of the disciples and co-workers of schelling who represent different phases of his philosophy of nature and his philosophy of religion among the naturalists influenced by schelling are steffens (1773–1845), Oaken (1779–1851), Schubert (1780–1860), and Carros (1789–1869), all of whom were distinguished in their day as biologists, physicists, or psychologists. Among the philosophers of religion whom Schelling influenced, the two best known are Bader (1765–1841) who, from the Catholic standpoint, attempted a religio-philosophical synthesis of Neoplatonism, Scholasticism, post-medieval mysticism, and German transcendental philosophy, and Schleiermacher, 1768-1834, who, from the Protestant standpoint, endeavoured to combine the most varied elements in an eclectic philosophy of religion. End of chapter 64